0: Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hmm. Where have we heard that before? Right? At the Mass, right? Every week. When the priest has taken the gifts that you've given. They're symbols of the, the sacrifice you're making. Bread and wine, right? Our food. It's a symbol of all that. And you bring it up through a representative of the congregation. And the priest prays the prayers, the Eucharistic prayers, consecrates the bread and wine, comes the body and blood of Christ. And the priest, just before you're going to receive him, you and your family are going to receive him in Holy Communion, the priest says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We say that across our lives as we Come to worship Him and be in communion with Him. But that's not where the proclamation originates from. It originates from the Scriptures when we just heard it in John's Gospel, chapter 1, about John the Baptist. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him across the Jordan, he says to his followers, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then at that point, we're told in the Gospels that he encourages his disciples to start following Jesus. In fact, some of Jesus' own apostles were first John's disciples. And the Gospels record John saying, I must decrease and he must increase. I'm going to come back to that. But... The proclamation, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That doesn't just happen in the New Testament, in John's Gospel. There's a whole work that's being done in the years, hundreds of years before John the Baptist and Jesus and the Apostles. To get the people ready, God's people, for understanding what John means when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's all in the Old Testament. And listen, if we don't understand some of that in the Old Testament we will never really understand what John says and means, and we will never really feel and live in the impact of what every priest in the world for 2,000 years, including in a few minutes here at St. Francis de Sales, says when they hold up the body and blood of Jesus Christ, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So let's unpack some of this in the Old Testament. I wanna do this in two ways. I wanna do this in a general way, just talk in general About the Lamb of God because it presents itself many, many times throughout the Old Testament. And then I'll actually give something specific from one of the passages in the Old Testament. The Lamb of God is multifaceted, like books have been written. I don't have enough time in this homily. So I'm just I'm gonna shorten this to about an hour homily. (laughs) Kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) So let's jump in, all right All right, in general, the Lamb of God. The the Lamb of God was taught by Moses. So God teaches Moses to teach the people to offer sacrifices. Now, some of the sacrifices they offer are sacrifices of thanksgiving, like the grain offerings, the first fruits, the tithe, the ten percent, the first fruits of the harvest. Okay? that's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. But there are other sacrifices that God asked Moses to teach his people to offer, such as the sacrifices of atonement for our sins. And that involved animals. And one of the animals that often is prescribed for the atonement of our sins is the little lamb. Why? Several reasons. I can't go into all of them. Just a few here. An unblemished lamb, right? The lambs were something that the Jews valued. Just like if you go to a restaurant today and order lamb, it costs a lot more than a steak, okay? In some parts of the world, it is the thing still, right? So lamb was something important to the Jews, and it was a sacrifice for them to offer that. Because it was valuable, like in the sense of currency, what it cost them to sacrifice a young lamb. Meaning, when Jesus prescribes a sacrifice for one sin, it's not just God who's going to take away the sins. We have skin in the game, so to speak. We have flesh in the game, so to speak. And that skin that we have is a sacrifice. So it's a penitential action. We're going to give up something valuable for us as a way of saying we see what you're doing for us and we value it and this is a partnership here. So they give up something that's precious to them. They were farmers, right? That's the first part. It's the reason why you ask for a sacrifice of a lamb. Here's another part. It had to be an unblemished lamb, meaning it couldn't be a defect. It couldn't have a broken leg or different colors or some other distortion, which is less valuable to the Jews. So it had to be something that was most valuable to them. Again, sacrificial. But the unblemished part means something else, too. It means it's innocent, it's pure. And here's the reason why it had to be that. Because we're guilty. We're the guilty party. So something innocent is sacrifice for the guilt of our sins. We can't take away our sins. We're the guilty ones. So someone else, something else. And they were taught for the ritual to heap their sins into that innocent lamb and the lamb was slaughtered, and it was a symbol of what God can do with our sins. He can destroy them. So it had to be an unblemished land. now, for us today, Jesus called the Lamb of God, and he is wholly innocent. He's the only innocent human being. And he is worth something to the Father. So rather than you offer an animal, which by the way, disclaimer here, animals did not take away the sins. They didn't do it. They don't have the power to do that. What God was doing was creating a ritual, a commandment, a teaching, a practice that the Jews practiced over and over and over across their lives and across the centuries all in order to get to Jesus, the Son of God, who would be sacrificed as the Lamb of God, who's the only one who actually can take away our sins. So when John says there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they're like, That's that's a man who, of course, is the son of God, and the only one among humanity who actually can take away our sins because he's all powerful, he's eternal. And he's innocent. Who takes away our guilt. And the sins attached to our guilt. Beautiful, right? And so that's some of the impact. And some of the getting ready and the foreshadowing. The seeding. The preparation that will lead up to. Not just the time of the Jews when they hear this. But for you and I when we hear this. Jesus is That precious, valuable gift of the Father who offers what is most valuable to Him and innocent to take away your sins. That's how much He loves you. And that's what's going on in the Old Testament to get us to that. And the way, by the way, that the Jews who are following the teachings of Moses and trusting in that actually have their sins forgiven, is retroactive. Again, not the animals, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because He's eternal, and His action, His sacrifice, is an eternal action. That means it transcends all time. So anyone who believes this and follows this at the time of Jesus, at our time, and future times, and the Jews before Jesus, that's how their sin is actually forgiven. By an eternal God. All right. That's good for the general part. Here's the specific part. Exodus 12. It's um, the teaching of the Passover. And here's the context for this, which again impacts our lives, because this is the case of any generation, any century, any place that's living in this broken world. The Jews are not in slavery in Egypt. This is the background. And they're there for 400 years. And what the Egyptians do over a series of generations to the Jews is several things. Again, I don't have time to go into all of it, but I want to put, put, point out two things. In their enslavement, they teach them basically that they're machines, functionaries of the pharaohs. And their main work, their main value, their main identity, their mission, if you will, is to work for the society, for the culture, for the powers that be, and what they determine they should be doing. So that's what they do. They work all their lives from sunup to sundown, and they die a young age because they are Working, working, working. They're enslaved to their work. And the other thing about them is that over the course of the centuries, even though they're God's people, God's chosen people, the pharaohs and the people of that land who control the way they live their lives, who tell them the way that they should be living their lives, they introduced to them the gods of the Egyptians. And these Jews are worshiping the gods of Egypt, which, which again, by the way, don't actually exist. But they're taught to worship these gods. And what that ends up doing is they're working all the time and they're worshiping false gods. They stop worshiping the one true God now does that sound familiar at all does it this is the culture we're living in again today right there's nothing new under the sun the enemy has a playbook and it's very simple it's not complex and if we want to battle with this enemy we have to know his playbook because otherwise if we don't we'll play along with them rather than play against them now we know that work can be a sanctifying reality when a man and woman goes off and works to provide for their family as a sacrifice that that can that could be a way of holiness We know with our kids that are involved with many activities, let's just call it work, okay? We know that that can help them in many ways. So, not dogging that. But, but, if our work replaces our worship, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because if we don't worship God, we will end up worshiping every other thing because we were made for worship, right? So if our work and the excuses we wrap around our work, not to worship Him, and if the activities that our culture says you know, uh, uh, over and over again, here's what kids should be doing with their lives, and we grow up in this generation after generation, then just like the Jews in slavery, we learn to want it it's no longer a command right the jews wanted to worship the egyptian gods and we end up worshiping all kinds of gods which don't exist but we worship them anyways meaning we give them our heart our passion our wants our desires we find our identity and our purpose and our worth in our work in our in our activities and And they enslave us. And they replace the worship of the one true God. We are living in Egypt again, brothers and sisters. Right? So God, in Exodus 12, comes to his people and says, enough. Enough! And he prescribes rituals for them to go through that he attaches to what the Jews What the scriptures tell us is called the Passover, all right? Again, a lot of aspects to it. I just want to give two. The Passover. Here's where the Lamb of God comes in. I want to free you from the slavery of worshiping false gods, from the slavery of replacing work with the worship of me. I want to free you from a society and a culture that tells you this is who you are and bring you back to me saying to you, this is who you are. You are a son and daughter of a heavenly father. That's your identity. And then that's your mission to tell everyone else to join my family. Right? That's his purpose. And I want to free you to set you on a journey into the promised land. It begins with the Passover, which happens the night before they leave Egypt. And those two things about the Lamb of God, one is this. He tells them to slaughter a Lamb of God, a lamb, and he says, take the blood and put it on the doorpost of your house. Which, by the way, he tells them a letter in Hebrew, a sign, a symbol to put on there. And that letter is translated in um, the Greek, uh, the, towel, the towel, which is, uh, looks like a T, which looks like a cross. Put that on your doorposts, the blood of the Lamb. And when I send the angel of death through the land of Egypt, the angel of death will pass over your house, that's where Passover comes from, will pass over your house. Now if you don't do this, the firstborn of everything will die. So if you don't do it, the firstborn of your family will die. So the firstborn of the Egyptians, the firstborn of the animals, the firstborn of Israelites, because listen, our sin isn't individual and private to us. That's what he's trying to say. Our sin is corporate. It always affects everyone else. There are consequences to everyone else. So he shows the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt and even the Israelites the consequences of our sin, which is death. So he, he allows this terrible deed to be done. And through the terrible deed, he sets us free from the angel of death. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is, this is exactly preparation for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so we can put, connect all the dots. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God whose blood will protect us from the angel of death, and we will pass over. We will not be affected by the angel of death. Who's the angel of death? The angel of death was the angel of life, light. Lucifer, whose very name means a light bearer. And when he falls, he's the angel of death. And not just the angel of death and the corporal mortal death. He is the angel of death of eternal death. If he grips us and and gets us, then he will take us into eternal death. Eternal separation from the Father. It's far worse than a mortal death. Mortal death can be the passage to heaven or the passage to hell. So, God sends the Lamb of God to keep the angel of death, the angel of darkness, causing him to pass over us rather than to take us. That's The Son of God. And it it happens in a terrible act. It's through a terrible act that we're saved. It was through a terrible act in the land of Egypt that the people of God were set free and set on their journey to the promised land. It's in a terrible act, the death of the Son of God, that humanity is freed. And set on a course into eternal life. It is His blood that protects us. So just like every parent, there's a lot of kids here, every parent made sure that they put the symbol of the blood of the Lamb of God on their doorpost to protect their child. God is calling us. God set all this up. God is calling us to bring ourselves and our families so that the blood of the Lamb of the of God, the Son of God, may be on our children. Not only on our children, in our children. So the angel of death never grips our children. Day in and day out, leading us into a culture of death. And at the end of our lives, they will pass over from the angel of death into the kingdom of the promised land. We know all this, because God did all this in the Old Testament, so that when John points him out, this this, comes rushing back into the consciences of every Jew, because they knew the Old Testament. We don't. So we have to have time to understand it, to understand that when we bring ourselves and our children up this Holy Communion line, what really is happening for them? And remember... When God freed Israel through this action, he freed all of his people, right? So what, what did Moses do? Moses told all the Jews, get ready. And they all went out and told everyone else. So they could all participate in this ritual. It was more than a ritual, right? It was God's commandment. It was his teachings. Do this. Trust in me. And this is what will happen. So that's your responsibility as the people of God. You're to spend your life going out to everybody else in this land and having them join you for the way that God set up to save you and them. It wasn't just Moses, a priest, teaching. It was all of you participating in this. Second aspect to the Lamb of God at the Passover meal is God said to his people through Moses, And they must eat the flesh of the Lamb of God. Because I'm about to set them on to a journey into the, the promised land. And they need food for the journey. They need sacred food. But the way it is is that they need to trust me through the hard times, the bad times, the difficult times, the challenging times, and the good and prosperous times so they don't forget me. They need to trust me as I lead them into the journey land. And here's, man, here's where it just just blows your mind, right? Getting into the promised land wasn't right away. It took 40 years for them to do this. Because God got Israel out of Egypt, but now God needed to get Egypt out of Israel. Egypt out of each person. And it took 40 years. 40 years, by the way, in the theology that's underneath um, Hebrew numer- numerology, 40 is a perfect span of time. A fullness, okay, of time. So 40 years was the time that the average Jew lived back then. So what it means is that it took them traveling A lifetime as individuals, as that generation that left Israel. It took them 40 years to get ready for the promised land in the desert. For God to get out of Israel, Egypt that was in Egypt over 400 years. And he had to get out of them, the worship of other gods and everything else I just described. So that they're capable of entering into the physical Promised land, a land of milk and honey, which is a symbol of plenty plentiful, which is a symbol of heaven. Back to us today. John points out, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus celebrates the Passover, He transforms the Passover. And it now is no longer. By the way, at the Passover, go back and read the gospel. Nowhere is it mentioned that there's a lamb eating at that Passover. Because he's the lamb. He's the lamb. He made that very clear to his disciples. He's the lamb. So there was no lamb that was eaten at the Passover, which is the essential part of the Passover meal. And from that time on, to the very next Sunday after he, he sorry, resurrects. And on that day, the, the disciples gather. And every Sunday since that time, and throughout 2,000 years, we as Catholic Christians in every church of the world have been celebrating the new Passover. Have been celebrating exactly what Jesus described and commanded us to do. It's a mortal sin, we know that, to miss Mass. Why? Not because of some arbitrary teaching of Jesus Christ, because he knows if we do this and this becomes a way of our life, you know, back to Egypt and all that kind of stuff, we're putting ourselves and our family in mortal peril. Because we'll be swept away by everything else that the Israelites were swept away in their time of slavery and will become slaves to this society and this culture. And so We'll raise our children up with those values and priorities rather than the command and teaching of Jesus Christ. When we come up then and we raise our kids up and our eventually our kids come up to receive Holy Communion, They are eating the flesh of the Lamb of God, the Son of God. So that they have food for the journey. A journey that will take a lifetime. And if they continue to eat the flesh of the Lamb of God, they will make it into the promised land. And the promised land is not a physical place across the ocean, Israel. The promised land is heaven. The moms and dads, brothers and sisters, spouses, friends who have friends, there is nothing that you can do to save your children or yourselves or your friends. Nothing that you can do. The only thing that you can do is present yourself and them to Him. And He will give you and them everything they need to walk through the pilgrimage of this world into eternal life. One last thing about John, because I said I would get back to it. John, he says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he, he recommends to his disciples to become the disciples of Jesus Christ. And we know from the Gospels that some of them, in fact, became Jesus' disciples. They left John that day, and Jesus says, John says in another place in the Gospels, he must increase and I must decrease. What is John talking about? Well, okay. John's ministry was in full mode before Jesus ever started his ministry. He was popular. He had thousands of people coming to any event that he held. And here's a man then, had it all going on, and he was willing to let go all of that so that the focus is on Jesus Rather than himself and moms and dads with everything that the world has put in you put in me put in us brothers and sisters in Christ everything that the world has done to try to shape and form our mindsets our preferences our actions our lifestyle you must decrease and he must increase for you to be capable of pointing out the Lamb of God to your children and saying, He's the center, not me. Not what I was raised with in my perspective of what's important in this world. Like the world teaches us to go for years of school only so that we can accomplish whatever it is that we're looking for in a degree. And we put so much emphasis on that And little to no emphasis on raising them up as children of God. And guess what? By the time they're out of our household, most of them don't believe and practice our faith. Because we're putting into them what was put into us, what was put into our parents, what was put into their parents, as we become an increasingly secular society similar to the time of Egypt. So you must decrease... So that you have more room inside of you for him to increase and fill you up like John the Baptist who did not live in the city among the people. He lived out in the desert like the Israelites so he had space for God and he had the courage and the knowledge and the wisdom and understanding and the spirit and the fortitude to say, there's the Lamb of God. It isn't about me. It's about him. It isn't about us and what we created here in this world. It's about him. There's the Lamb of God. And they left John and they followed Jesus. Which is the whole purpose of why John was in this world. And it's the whole purpose why you are parents. And God has given you these people. These children. Or we're parishioners or we're Christians in this world and there's a whole host of others of our brothers and sisters who God is just waiting for us to decrease so he may increase in us and send us out to point out what is the most valuable precious thing in this world and who they should be following and who they should not be following, who they should be worshiping, and who they should not be worshiping, who they should be working for, and who they should not be working for. I'll end with this. Thank God you're here. Thank God you're here, right? Every single one of you, thank God you're here. And in a moment, at this church, wherever church you are throughout your life, just like in a few moments, you're going to hear the priest say, there, he, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you step up in Holy Communion, you're going to step up with a new understanding. Here's the blood of Christ that can protect me and my family from the angel of death. Here's the flesh of the Lamb of God that can feed us for our journey. Here is me at mass decreasing so that I can increase with him, in him. He can increase inside of me. That's why he gets inside of us, literally in the Eucharist. So we can, he can increase in us so that I can spend my life saying to everyone else that I love and everyone else in this world, the new Egypt. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.